You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hi everyone, this is your host, Daniel Lee here. And I wanted to give you some background on the actual podcast. So I really like asking people what they do. And I've had jobs as a public accountant, a management consultant, and lately as a public equities investor. And in getting these roles, I had to speak to a lot of people who were already doing what I wanted to do. And it turned out that what the media and industry stereotypes say about the role is not at all accurate to what you actually do. And it was no, this was not to mention that most assumptions people set about uh, a certain individual's journey into that career field was also wrong. Um, this was because it's never as linear as people think it is. It's never as simple as you do A, then you go to B, and then you will get to do C. It's actually much more complicated than that, and that's what I realized after having spoken to over 80 different people to learn about what they did. And something I found out was that a lot of my friends had not learned this yet. Some eventually would because they have already started reaching out to people to actually learn about what they did but I also knew that many wouldn't because cold calling people really frightened them and that's completely understandable it still scares me too but I also am always extremely curious about what other people do and I love hearing about their stories so I figured maybe I can help them out with this podcast and just document what I would normally be talking about with other people. And so that's what this podcast is about. It's me finding people with career journeys that I find interesting and or they have roles that I would like to learn more about. And so I really do hope that I can add value to you in that sense as I go about selfishly using this podcast to learn more about other people and fulfill my own curiosity. So yeah, there you have it. Today's interview is with William Hillock, and he is a product manager at Simple. Simple is the famed robo-advising technology company in Canada, and Will has a very similar background to me. He's a University of Waterloo accountant and he went through the accounting path to become a product manager at a financial technology firm which people tend to call fintech and in this interview we dive into actually the benefits of um, his beginnings of not starting out in a big four environment and actually being in a mid-sized accounting firm what the contrast is there and then we also talk about his move to Shopify, actually being part of the company in the pre-IPO stages, as well as leaving it um, when they are 
are doing extremely well and leaving it at the peak and moving over to another startup, what that journey is like, and then the whole transformation from having been an accountant to being a product manager and how that is different. And so this was a very unique journey that I had a lot of fun learning about and talking to Will with. And so I do hope that you enjoy this as well. All right. Thanks, uh, Will, for joining me for the interview today. So to the audience members, we have Will Hillock. He is the product manager at Will Simple. And, you know, for the audience members who might not be familiar with the product, um, Will, could you give us a you know, quick overview of what you guys do and what kind of product it actually is. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Um, so with Wealth Simple, we are trying to basically provide simple financial services to the masses. Mm. So um, you've probably heard the term robo advisor, um, which is what we are, but we have our own take on it where we consider ourselves to be a, a hybrid robo-advisor. So although you're dealing with an online software platform, um, there are humans behind the technology. Um, so if you have questions, if you're looking for financial planning, um, you know, or you just, you're just getting into investing and you want to know more, um, you're able to call us up, you're able to email in um, and you can speak to either our client support team or uh, a registered portfolio manager who is on our staff. Um, and it gives people a peace of mind that they can you know, still talk to somebody and they're not restricted by just a, uh, an interface where mm -hmm. you know, there's not that, that human interaction. Um, although the, the interface is very simple, it's sleek, um, and it's you know, very easy to ultimately set up an account and start investing mm. um, you know, most of the time within less than 24 hours, um, you know, people have really attached themselves to having that ability to reach out, um, to have that human conversation. Um, and so you know, bringing it back, simple financial services, um, which we've now extended into a savings product as well. So although you can open up an investment account like an RRSP or a TFSA, mm -hmm. um, we actually have a, a smart savings account. So it's a high interest savings account and this is our first foray outside of the investment world. And so our ultimate goal is to become a, a full service uh, provider of all financial type products. And so the, the smart savings account was our first experiment outside of our uh, our existing initial space. Okay, yeah, no, that's news to me as well. I, I didn't know you guys had that. Uh, it's been around for only a month. Um, okay, okay. But uh, it offers a, an interest rate that is higher than any of the, the big six savings accounts, um, although it is not as high as some of the other banks like EQ Bank or mm. B2B. Um, but that being said, you know, when you look at those rates that they post a lot of the times they're just promotional type offers and mm -hmm. so you know you may get it for three six twelve months but beyond that you tend to drop back down to a um, a regular rate mm -hmm. whereas ours is consistently um, 1.7 percent which is fairly competitive mm -hmm. yeah no definitely and i think it's i've found that for many of my friends i'm um, like given my background like being in the buy side and stuff it was very 
weird that not a lot of our friends would be investing their savings away um, to grow it. But I think I found that this high interest savings have been good alternatives for them to, you know, put their money, park it somewhere to at least gain something to at least match inflation or slightly beat it. Yeah, um, and that, and that's it. And you know, part of our part of our mandate is you know, wanting to ensure that we do cater to millennials um, and the younger generation, but you'd be surprised at the number of clients we have that are, um, you know, 40 and above. So, you know, different age groups see uh, different value drivers from our product. Um, But ultimately what we want to provide is a, you know, a a full picture in terms of your your investment and savings um, profile. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we are really reinforcing the the need for an emergency savings fund, you know, in case something does happen, you know, you always want to have three, six months of, of savings set aside, the rainy day fund, as mm-hmm. you know, people commonly call it. Um, and so we've really been driving that home um, as of late. And, uh, you know, we, we think as part of any financial plan, you know, this is a, a piece, a key component that you want to have. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I think um, we'll touch more upon both simple I think as the interview goes on, but I think I want to first uh, hit upon, you know, you, you know, you're not actually from Toronto, are you? Like you worked in Ottawa for a bit. Um, I know you went to the University of Waterloo, but um, yeah, like so, where did you grow up? Can you tell me a little bit about um, your childhood? Yeah, uh, born and raised in Ottawa, okay, just outside of Ottawa. Um, but yeah, all of my family is based in Ottawa. Um, so up until university, mm-hmm. I was there, uh, lived a, a very normal life, I think, by you know, anyone's standards. Uh, I'm an only child, um, so no siblings, but um, you know, grew up playing sports. Mm-hmm. Um, golf and hockey were, were my two big ones, so I had a winter sport and a summer sport. Um, and yeah, so just you know, lived a very normal life life went away for university which was my first time being away from home um so that was a good experience in terms of allowing me to grow and figuring out you know who i was and uh, what my likes and dislikes were Mm -hmm. and waterloo having a niche um, accounting program was was ultimately my first pick you know when trying to figure out what schools i wanted to go to um you know having i guess figured out that very early on in high school that accounting was something that I was you know very interested in and wanted to pursue Mm -hmm. you know I think that I was a little different from most of my peers who were you know kind of it was up in the air as to what they wanted to do they weren't really sure yeah but I knew from you know grade 11 that you know accounting and and I attribute this to the my teacher at the time that I had who was a fantastic business teacher and accounting teacher um, made it interesting you know made it enjoyable and I excelled at it and so you know it was something that uh, when it came time to choosing what to you know go into I thought about law um, but realized that I wasn't you know a very aggressive person I wouldn't have made a very good lawyer Um, you know maybe a doctor again I didn't really want to do seven years of school Mm. Um, but accounting you know was something that I enjoyed Um, you know I took a sense of pride in in the exercises in the work it was very detail-oriented and and it's just logically it made sense so Mm. that kind of put me down that path and although I was originally looking at uh, you know staying in Ottawa for school um, you know my parents ultimately put it in my ear that you know 
why don't you consider maybe looking outside of Ottawa? Really? Um, so I don't know whether they were sick of me and wanted me out of the house, <laughs> um, or they just wanted me to, you know, experience uh, life on my own. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm forever grateful for them kind of giving me that push out of my comfort zone, applying to Waterloo, getting accepted to Waterloo, accepting, you know, the, uh, you know, accepting and attending, uh, living in residence, you know, first year university and, um, you know, ultimately just growing as a person. So, mm-hmm. and that, uh, you know, that's kind of early life, I would say up until, uh, up until university. Yeah. What about, um, before grade 11, like, um, you know how when you're younger between like elementary school like ages 7 to 13 like you start I think that's when you for me at least you start kind of having dreams of what you might want to be growing up um, I, I can't imagine that you would set a count at no. a young age no actually it was uh, and this was probably very typical for the time but yeah. a crime scene investigator really uh, so CSI okay. was okay. on TV and it was the hot the hot uh, TV show at the time mm. and uh, it was captivating I was like this is the coolest job ever like you know you get to solve murders and piece it all together with science and you know once you actually did some research into what it took to become a crime scene investigator and their uh, their life cycle basically like a crime scene investigator lasts only about six to seven years Oh, really? Just because of what they end up seeing, you know, day to day in their job, it's uh-huh. just it has such a traumatizing effect. That, oh, okay. You know, they eventually just cut loose. Eventually, and they're like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I'm done. Okay. And so I was like, well, maybe that's not for me. Yeah. Maybe that's probably not the best career decision. Um, and so, you know, although that's what I had initially, uh, you know, was was interested in, you know, it didn't come to fruition. Yeah. Like I said before, lawyer. Um, you know, was always was always of interest, but you know, I wasn't an aggressive person. Um, you know, I didn't really think that I could stand up in court and, uh-huh. and hold my own. Um, and so, you know, even though I took a couple of law classes and got to participate in mock trials, which were very, you know, very interesting and in getting to play a role, um, it was uh, it was ultimately not meant to be. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I think it's pretty cool that. You still at least tested the assumption that you know you at least looked into yeah what what are the realities like as a crime scene investigator so you at least tested it out instead of kind of jumping blindly into it. Yeah, I uh, I like to think that I, I tend to overthink things before yeah. making you know a firm decision as to whether to go forward with uh-huh. it or not. Um, you know, so even with with looking into being a lawyer, you know, it's not all being in the courtroom. You know, yeah. there's a lot of you know, paperwork and. Uh, research and so you know you, you get these images and what Hollywood puts into your head mm-hmm. it's like oh it looks amazing but it's nowhere near reality mm-hmm. um, and so you know like, like I said I'm a very cautious person and it, it can take me time and I think that's why accounting fits so well is just uh, you know especially with money it's like before spending on something you know uh, I do my due diligence in terms of you know, does this make sense mm-hmm. okay should I spend the money you know delay 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 and then eventually you know I just get to a point where it's like okay let's do it mm-hmm. I'm all in you know jump in buy it go forward don't look back mm-hmm. you know this I made the decision this is it okay yeah. and yeah I think uh, e- even when you talked about being thinking about being a uh, Times you investigated, you were initially, you know, thinking about the research, the kind of investigativeness, and I think that 
there is some aspect of that, I think, into what you've ended up doing. And I think last time we spoke, um, you know, I, I reached out to you by cold message on LinkedIn. You've been kind enough to sit down and have, have a coffee with me. But you told me about how you were actually, you found yourself being more attracted to tax instead of just regular audit and like financial accounting. Um, I'm wondering, was, was there like a specific factor that made a big difference in terms of why you gravitated towards that area? And was that during your di- initial earlier days in uh, Collins Barrow where you started? Yeah, so I, um, like during university being at Waterloo, the co-op program, I ended up getting a job at Collins Barrow um, in Ottawa. So I was able to go back home while I was on my co-op terms. Um, and for my co-op terms, I was working in the, the audit assurance group, which most public accountants or most accountants who go the public accounting route kind of start out in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I graduated from university and wrote my UFI, the final exam at the time, which is now the CFE, um, I continued in the audit and insurance, audit and assurance uh, group, but ultimately you know, after becoming a senior and working on many different files, um, realized that the the type of work was was fairly repetitive. Um, you know, once you saw one type of scenario, uh, you know, you'd almost see it identical. Whether it was the same industry or not, um, you're applying the same you're applying the same procedures. You're applying the same logic, um, and so I realized that. I was I was becoming bored. I wasn't learning anything new, and I was stagnating. Mm-hmm. Um, so what drew me to tax was the kind of never-ending list of um, situations that a, a taxpayer could, you know, fall into, mm-hmm. um, and and so that is what ultimately, you know, drew me there. Um, in terms of being a part of the so working at Collins Barrow, um, we would get experience in both. The audit side and the tax side during tax season, um, and taking part in those tax seasons is what really kind of drew me into the, the tax space. Um, and you know, I was good at it. I excelled at it. And one of the partners reached out to me and said, "You know what? Why don't you give it a shot? Come over to the tax group. You know, I think you'd you'd be a great fit." And so I thought things over, um, and ultimately, I liked the the fact that I would waking up to learn something new every day it'd be a new situation that would present itself Um, and there's a lot less what I found to be like gray area it was more black and white based on precedent Um, and you know you would look at the tax law and ultimately interpret it um, you know based on past decisions but also just based on like the set of facts and the set of rules listed out And, and so that's you know that is me I find where it's just like black or white. I don't like gray. I don't like subjectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it was kind of just a perfect fit. And yeah. so um, ended up joining the tax group and working working in the tax group for a few years, learning a lot. And, you know, especially at a mid-sized firm, you get the opportunity to work on many different clients and many different files. You know, you're not just stuck on one client for months on end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I felt really gave me a well-rounded breadth of knowledge and especially when it came to tax and the income tax act you know you look at the thousand pages plus of very thin you know bible paper i call it um you know there the opportunity to learn something is right there it's at your fingertips mm-hmm. and uh it's it, it's interesting it's tedious it's detailed but um you know all of those things were kind of just 
reasons why um, you know I I enjoyed and fell in love with with the tax space. Yeah, no, and um, I I have a friend um, who did personal tax in the big four and moved over to a mid-sized firm as well and the individual told me about how much the learning curve was actually steeper at the mid-sized firm because you have so many um, different scenarios that you're not really exposed to in the big four environment and yeah. so yeah definitely like the learning you'll get much more learning out of that and I definitely saw that side as well and you know so you know when I look at your career um, you look at your LinkedIn page it's Colin Sparrow, Shopify, now both simple. Um, given your personality of making sure that everything is aligned or doing the full kind of analysis before you make a decision, did in making the decision to jump from each one of your career spaces, was there any kind of fear associated with it at all? Or do you get to a point in your analysis where it's just black and white and then it's just easy? Oh no, it was total fear. 100% yeah. fear. Um, I remember when I first was looking into the Shopify opportunity. One of their um, recruiters, in-house recruiters, had reached out to me about this role, and you know, it it was me. It was what I was doing at Collins Barrow, but it would be just for you know the one company and the group of companies. Um, and I'd heard about the company. Um, you know, there there were rumblings. Um, you know of the potential success that 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 they were having and so uh, you know I thought to myself if this is my opportunity to look outside of public accounting um, you know this is the type of opportunity that I would want Mm -hmm. Um, you know I was very much focused on the partner track um, you know right from you know first year university I always Mm -hmm. saw myself uh, staying you know the traditional route public accounting partner you know, kick back, golf, mm-hmm. enjoy life. <laughs> um, but, you know, this opportunity kind of put the thought into my head. And I had a colleague who had left uh, the firm about six months prior. Um, and so that was kind of the first, you know, thought that, okay, maybe there is life outside of public accounting. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I should open you know, open my eyes and, and look for those opportunities out there, um, you know, just to make sure that the route that I'm going is the route that I want to go down. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up going through the process at Shopify, um, five or six interviews later, uh, they offered me the position and that's where the fear really kicked in. Yeah. It was just like, whoo, this is life changing. You know, this is flipping everything upside down, going from, a, you know, a stable, public accounting firm to a tech startup that you know is here today but where could they be in three years five years and that was that was always my my biggest fear was you know having seen the 30-year path that I kind of had laid out for me at the public accounting firm right that I had no idea what Shopify would look like in you know five years let alone three years Mm -hmm. and so that was probably the most you know the the most scary piece of the decision was where will I be, right. you know, in the future, um, and so there was a lot of back and forth, you know, a lot of discussion with my parents, they being very traditional, very stable boomers, you know, were skeptical of of the move. You know, mm-hmm. you know, they're my mother works for Canada Post in the finance department. She's worked with them for thirty years. 
stable. Like yeah. Just the stereotypical stable boomer. Yeah. My dad is uh, an owner of a home hardware store in Ottawa. Again, like entrepreneur, but a very traditional entrepreneur in that, you know, my grandparents started the store. He ultimately took it over, um, you know, and made it his own. And he, you know, second generation, that was always him. Yeah. Um, and so for me, you know, to start out in the traditional path and then ultimately turn upside down to go into this tech world, mm-hmm. um, they were very skeptical of the decision. But given I'm an only child, you know, they have to be supportive. But I know that they were supportive regardless. Right. Um, and so, you know, they, they supported my decision regardless of which way I went and ultimately having their backing um, is what pushed me over you know the edge in terms of taking the the position with Shopify and and starting a new chapter mm-hmm. and was this uh, for timeline's perspective was this before Shopify had done the IPO it was so this was they first reached out December 2014 yeah um, I got the job in early 2015 yeah. and I started with them in February 2015 and the first day that in the first day of work um, I go to meet the finance team and my boss and our general counsel uh, pull me aside and basically tell me look you need to sign an NDA because we're currently in the process of going public um, so you know welcome to the team yeah and so uh, it was a super exciting time to be a part of the company like yeah. kind of just showed up at the at the right time right place right time right before the party started <laughs> you know right before things really took off yeah um, and so getting to see the you know the the going public process um you, you know the ipo process i'm always going to hold that you know close to close to my heart because you know i don't really expect to see that ever again mm-hmm. you know in my career and if i do that's just bonus mm-hmm. um so you know although i wasn't necessarily active in the ipo process given when i joined i got to see things happen around me Mm -hmm. and kind of take it all in um and so that that was exciting that was unique and you know i will always like i said i will always hold that experience close um so yeah so starting with them in february shopify went public in may 2015 Mm -hmm. and uh you know, it was just enjoying the roller coaster ride from there. It was uh, up and to the right, um, you know, for the, the two and a half years that I was there. And then, uh, you know, uh, started, and then, uh, you know, things change, life changes, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, different, you know, new decisions had to be made. Mm. And then, on, in, in the light of those new decisions, uh, so you- you are still in um, Ottawa with Shopify, and that's where their headquarters is, so that makes sense. And after that, you've made the transition to come to All Simple, um, which also made you move to Toronto. So before we dive into that specifically, just on the transition from Ottawa to Toronto, um, I've never really worked in Ottawa before, but I've lived in Vancouver, Calgary, and Toronto. And I can, from my experience, each city is still extremely different in how the people interact and the culture of the city even though we're just one country it's still as if we're three I've been in three separate countries at at one point so what would you say are kind of the three distinct factors you noticed um, as a difference from between working in 
Ottawa and Toronto? That's a good question. Um, I would say one Ottawa is far more stable. I guess I say like it's a government town, right? So the federal government has over 300,000 employees in the city. Um, So it's it's a government town. It's stable. It's family oriented. Mm -hmm. um, And it gets a bad rap for being dull. But I will defend Ottawa till the end of days that um, it's a great city to grow up in. Um, I'm glad I left when I did to go to university because I had grown tired of it. Mm. Um, as you know, an 18-year-old, it, it wasn't that exciting um, of a city to, to be living in. Um, whereas Waterloo, being a university town, you know, caters to the students. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. you know there's a little more enjoyment to be had. That being said, coming back to Ottawa after university, I really saw the city in a new light mm-hmm. uh, and appreciated it for what it was. And so, and even you know when I left, you know, we, much like a lot of cities, you know, Ottawa did have its own food scene up and coming. Um, you know, it had its, it had its activities, it had its, you know, things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I love Ottawa. My family's there. Like I will always, it, you know, it'll always be my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, but Toronto's very different. Um, you know, obviously much bigger. Yeah. Um, although, living downtown you know you create your own bubble and Mm -hmm. you kind of stay within that bubble because everything you need grocery drugstore you know shopping work it's within that bubble right you have no need to really go outside that Um, get you a little five minute radius exactly um and so you know for me you know i've still i've got my car here i only use it when i need to go to hockey you know once a week Mm -hmm. um but outside of that, you know, Vaughn, Markham, like all of the, the suburbs, you know, it, it would be like a whole other country as far as, far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, but Toronto, Toronto's exciting. You know, it's big city. It's loud. You know, there's always something going on. Um, unlike Ottawa, all the concerts, all the artists come through the city. Yeah. They tend to skip Ottawa. So, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the unfortunate things. Uh, so, it's you know, it's great to be here. Um but yeah, it's just, it's very different. But, um, you know, I, I'm i coming to appreciate it, you know, the, the longer I'm here. I've yeah. been here for eight, nine months now. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been good. You know, I've tried to replicate life as much as possible here in Toronto as, as I had in Ottawa. Yeah. Um, and, and so that made the transition easier, uh, a lot smoother for sure. And having friends from university who came here after university and were pushing me to move here for years and years and years. And I always told them I'm comfortable in Ottawa guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, you know, they're excited that I finally made the jump and, uh, so no, things are good. I, uh, I don't regret my decision to move. It's been uh, an exciting time and, uh, you know, looking forward to what life holds, you know, going forward. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so, I guess moving to a different city, that's obviously a, a big consideration um, for your career switch. But you know, you, you were at Shopify, you guys now went through public, you've seen what it could potentially do, you're in a huge party, you see the huge upside, and then you leave that to come to Well Simple, another startup. Now it's your second time going to a, a startup, so maybe you're a little more conditioned and uh, you're not as fearful. Um, but yeah, like, was it, I would. I would still think like if I was in your shoes that there would still be this huge you know fear of missing out in terms of all the potential growth that you could still be part of 
what was the uh, thought process like that? Yeah, no, again, it was fear. Like the fear was <laughs> the fear was very much still there, especially in moving cities. And I think I think this time it was more so um, the moving cities factor, moving away from family. So it was more of a personal factor as opposed to a you know a career factor. I, I felt confident in the company. Um, you know, again well simple you know you hear rumblings you hear good things up and coming um you know so really for me it was do i want to move away from ottawa you know my hometown my family's all there um you know is this something that i can process and rationalize and come to terms with um and and ultimately the you know the the outcome was yes but again it was it was not difficult when you know, I started going through the interview process with Wellsimple, and they offered me the job. There was a lot of back and forth. I was a yes, I was a no, and this was all in my head. Mm-hmm. And I remember one night telling my wife, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to take the job, mm. and you know, I'm just stick it out. Um, and then I was at a baseball game with my dad, and you know, we were talking about you know the Shopify, you know, being at Shopify and the opportunity still available, mm-hmm. um, you know, and moving to Toronto. And you know, I should, you know, caveat that I always saw myself, you know, potentially moving to Toronto if I wanted to stay in the tech space because the tech space in Toronto uh, was, you know, is growing exponentially and um, the opportunities are far more plentiful than in Ottawa where it's really Shopify. And then a lot of what I call old tech, like hardware tech. Oh, so, yes. uh, you know, building, you know, microsystems and, and whatnot. Yeah. And, and that takes place in a, one of the suburbs of Ottawa, Canada <laughs> North, it's called. And I had no interest in ever working for, um, you know, one of the companies out there. Yeah. So I said to myself, <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, sorry. Oh, no um, I said to myself, um, you know, this, you know, moving to Toronto would be the right decision if I wanted to move, you know, stay in tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and tech was exciting. You know, there's always something new. There's always something, it's another company on the cutting edge. Um, and so, you know, my dad said to me, he's like, you know, nobody will ever understand why you made the decision except for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and hold, hold on to that. You know, you're making the decision. Uh, you're making the decision for you um, and don't let anybody else influence that and so I I took that to heart and that was you know really what pushed me over the edge in terms of deciding you know what I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take the job Mm -hmm. and so that uh, that's what did it and to kind of put my mind at ease and uh, the rest is history yeah is it it does it actually feel like rest is history though when you're in it? Do you ever have moments of doubt um, where you ask yourself, was this the right decision to make? And if you do, how do you get over that? What do you, what kind of yeah, self-talk I, do you do? Yeah, I guess it sounds kind of cheesy to say like the rest is history because it's still ongoing. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I have zero doubt. Yeah. I don't look back on it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... Uh, I look back on my time at Shopify as being, you know, a fantastic experience. I learned a ton um, in a very fast-paced environment, but the point at which I left was the right time for something, 
for something different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the company was growing to a point where, um, you know, the 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 job was moving even further outside my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I had started, I would say the job was already outside my comfort zone to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that made me work twice as hard to uh, keep up and really, you know, push myself to learn more. Um, you know, take on, you know, different, you know, variety of different roles, own the autonomy that I had. Um, but, you know, at, after two and a half years, I was ready for something a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and the opportunity would not have been there to have worked remote um, in Toronto for Shopify because the finance team is predominantly based in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that wasn't the type of working arrangement that I wanted mm-hmm. um, so that is why I ended up started looking around for different opportunities um, and I'd come across the the well simple role um, but there was one key requirement of it that made it sound like I needed to have an engineering background in addition to an accounting background uh-huh. and I was just like well no this isn't for me yeah um, and so it ended up being a, another recruiter uh, an outside recruiter who reached out to me and was able to clarify that one requirement. Um, and it, it wasn't so much they needed an engineer, but they needed somebody with the technical expertise uh, and ability to educate the engineering team that I'd be working with um, to basically take my technical knowledge and code it into the platform. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that I can do because I was doing that as part of my job at Shopify. So when I got that cleared up, I said to myself, okay, you know, I'm ready to throw my hat into the ring and let's see where this goes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess circling back, I don't regret the move. I have no doubts. Um, You know, I'm I'm fully confident in my decision and, um, you know, I'm happy with with how things have worked out so far. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like when we first chatted like I I was extremely curious about the product management space and um, we had a really good conversation about that and I think the big question I had for you at that time too was on I think the industry stereotype or assumption that yeah to be a product manager you have to be an engineer I think that's what I read for one of the Google articles and I think um, when I saw you having a product manager title without an engineering background um, and hearing about your story about yeah like utilizing your tax technicals it did kind of debunk that myth but from what you've seen um would you say though predominantly they tend to be of more like engineering backgrounds or do you see a a kind of shift happening yeah i would say there's a shift so if i look at our product management team Mm -hmm. our head of product is an engineer like is an engineer by trade Mm -hmm. um, transitioned into product over over his career but of the product managers who report into him like one is a true product manager who um, you know basically came out of college university into product management um, one is a former consultant um, another is a designer turned product manager mm. and then there's me who's an accountant turned mm. product manager and and I'd say like my role as a product manager is, is slightly different from from everybody else like I don't consider myself a traditional product manager Um, you know I consider myself a a niche product manager in my very specific uh, you know tax accounting realm Mm -hmm. and that you know I had the tax knowledge to basically build out 
the uh, the tax compliance requirements for our platform so that our clients could get their tax slips in a presentable clear um, manner you know that simplified tax season um, as much as possible mm-hmm. and, and so you know if that wasn't you know if the job description was anything different besides what was you know what was on the job description like that role I would not be in that role today mm-hmm. um, and so you know the reason why I ended up being interested in this role is because I could rely on my, my technical background um, I had been in a technical role at Shopify in the public accounting firm for so long I wanted to basically broaden my experience and so I felt like being in this product role would allow me to to like I say kind of round that round that out for my career and my goal was eventually you know at some point in the future is to get back into the finance side of things so having you know experience with the technical and having experience with the product and the business and the operation side um, you know I foresee a, a natural transition back into finance at some point in the future um, you know that is you know that's kind of where um, I see myself, whether it's in three years, whether it's in five years, whether it's next year, mm-hmm. uh, remains to be seen. But mm-hmm. I think having the, you know, the, the technical and product, uh, the combination of both um, is a great, um, you know, one-two uh, subset of skills to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, fitting to what we are learning more about your personality, you're kind of matching all the puzzles and the missing pieces together to ultimately get to where you want to or where you envision. Mm-hmm. And so then if you were to kind of you know, take me through kind of a sample day, so if we picked today, for example, um, around, can you walk me through what time you got into the office, the first thing you did, and um, by like 10 a.m., what were you doing? Yeah, so today was, today was actually unique um, yeah. because I spent the morning at one of our... Um, advisor offices so well simple has a uh, an advisor specific business where we provide uh, the software for financial advisors to basically bring their book of clients um, onto our platform you know they maintain the relationships but we do the portfolio management um, and so once a month we uh, we go out to um, one of our largest advisors offices and basically have a uh, a monthly meeting catch up with them going through you know new product features what we've launched what we're working on uh, listen to their feedback any issues or concerns they might have um, and so that usually takes up the morning and so that was the, this morning um, getting back getting back to work in the afternoon um, you know there's uh, it's a little bit of it's a little bit of everything so whether it be meetings um, with various teams um, or um, you know just kind of diving into the data and the metrics of of our platform um, it, it's a very different day to day from what I'm used to mm-hmm. um, because of how abstract I find the role to be mm-hmm. um, so you know every day ultimately looks different um, but um, you know, it, it's usually a case of meetings, um, analysis, you know, data analysis, um, write-ups in terms of um, with working with the engineering teams. Um, we do two-week sprints, um, and so you know, writing up um, 
summaries for the various stakeholders in the company and keeping them up to date as to what we're working on. Um, you know, touching base with the engineers to making sure that what they're working on, if they have any blockers, um, you know, does my technical knowledge like get them past what's blocking them? Um, working with the design team, you know, to kind of take my ideas as to what we're thinking about a specific feature, mm -hmm. you know, and turning it into a mock-up that we then, you know, give to the engineers and basically the rest is history. They, they code it, they bring it to life. Um, you know, so it's, it's a combination of all those. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so it's, uh, you know, it, it's very different, but I've been in it for nine months now and I think I'm getting a hang of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, when, when we spoke last, um, when I asked you to categorize how you spent your time, you said it, it was 20% uh, meetings, 40% requirements gathering, and then 40% just everything else. Yeah. Is, is, is that, does that still hold true or has it shifted? I would say the 20% the, the meetings holds, um, the information gathering, um, yeah, I would say the 20, 40, 40 is pretty consistent. Yeah. That, that 40%, other might actually be closer to 50 or 60 like yeah. it's um you know it's really just a hodgepodge of 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 everything um whether it's client you know client bugs or client issues uh -huh. um if it's tax related you know front end back end um you know i could be running around touching base with uh, many different teams um you know in one day um it, it's really uh yeah it, it definitely especially during tax and rsp season it definitely took up a lot more time mm -hmm. uh, i would say we're kind of coming back to the norm now but um you know there's always there's always something that comes up mm -hmm. and for well simple how long um is the kind of product life cycle in terms of when you first decide to start a new idea or initiate on it and then the amount of time you guys have to finally build it and launch it good question um you know we like to ship often and ship quickly yeah. um, so we try and break things down into a, a minimum viable product yeah. uh, you know what does a version 1.0 look like yeah. and so from you know the the brainstorming phase to the um, you know design phase to the actual dev work um, to launch you know I'd say on average maybe anywhere from two to four weeks, depending on the size, depending on the size of the feature or product that's being built out. Now, obviously you could ask, you know, any one of my colleagues and they would have a different answer, mm -hmm. um, just based on the, the types of features that they're working on. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we really try and, and scope projects out so that, you know, within our two week sprint, we're able to, you know, ship 90% of that, um, you know, particular feature so that, you know, as we roll into the next sprint, there's very little cleanup and mm -hmm. then boom, we're off onto the next, onto the next feature or onto the next issue. Okay. Um, so, you know, you're, you're wanting to stay ahead of competitors and you're always wanting to introduce, you know, new features and new, uh, new improvements to the platform. So the, the faster you can ship, the better, as long as you don't break something along the way. Yeah. And when would you say your involvement um, begins and where does it end? So I would say like I'm, I'm actively involved through, throughout the whole life cycle. So okay. from the brainstorming, uh, from the brainstorming and the, you know, the, the planning phase, um, you know, we'll take the ideas. I'll usually run the idea by the designers. So in the design phase, I kind of pitch them as to, okay, here's what we're thinking about. Mm. This is what I kind of see as the end result, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm going to, you know, 
give you basically creative rights to it. And if you think of something, um, you know, better, by all means, let's run with it. Right. Um, so I kind of step out at that point, let the designers do their work. They come back with the mock-ups, um, you know, step back in. We take a look. We, you know, make sure the stakeholders approve. Once approved, it goes into dev. Uh, the engineers kind of sink their teeth into it. Um, you know, we'll do some scoping around, okay, of these mock-ups, you know, what do we have to build? Mm -hmm. What's already been built? How do we break this down into stories that we can address within a two-week sprint? You know, do we have to break out a part of the project into a separate, you know, into its own project? Or can we do this all within two weeks? We agree to those timelines and then the devs go off, do their thing. If they have any questions, they know where to find me. Um, and then when we're good to ship, um, you know, we play around with the feature make sure nothing breaks and then out it goes into mm. the, into the world. And, uh, you know, we, we wait and see what feedback we get and if we're, um, able to measure any metrics in particular, um, you know, we're, we're actively, you know, keeping an eye on those to make sure right. that there's, you know, adoption and, and we, ex what we're expecting to see, we end up seeing. Yeah. Okay. And for you in terms of this whole kind of process, um, and being a product manager, what uh, specific activity would you say gives you the highest energy level in terms of excitement, um, highest state of, you know, total engagement and flow? Um, it's anything client-facing. So any really? fe any okay. feature that's like client-facing that has a tangible, um, you know, that that changes the, the platform in one way or another, that's what excites me because it's the most visible. Mm. Um, and I consider myself like a, a humble, like modest person, but mm. you know, I get satisfaction out of being able to say, oh yeah, you see that page? Like my team did that, you know, right, we're right. responsible for that. We came up with that idea. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, that is what is the most satisfying. Mm. Um, and so, you know, my big project over tax season was building out a, uh, a specific page within the platform where clients could see all of their expected tax statements um, for the year, you know, with an expected date. And when, you know, the slips were ready, basically they fed right into the system and the link would be, would come live. Mm -hmm. um, so seeing that, you know, taking it from concept to mock-up to reality um, was incredibly satisfying. And the fact that it was, you know, a part of my like technical crutch as mm. I call it uh, you know being that it was tax related um, you know was even just made it that much more satisfying mm -hmm. you know, in ways feeling like you know we're taking what can be a convoluted concept and making it you know simple easy and addressable for for clients to uh, to use mm -hmm. all right so if that's the uh, the big pro then what is the the other side what, what would you say is like a, a con of the role that um, nags at you or you find to be annoying or kind of hindersome? Um, I want to say like metric tracking just because my team is very like back in the background, you know, back end focused. Um, it, it's very hard to create tangible metrics that we can monitor on a, you know, a, a quarterly basis. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've tried to like move away from tracking metrics because I just don't feel like they're applicable to to what we're doing mm -hmm. um, and so that you know that was definitely something that took me a while to 
to get my head around because when I first started out, you know, I was trying to create metrics almost for the sake of creating metrics. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, is this really, you know, achievable? Um, is this really valuable to, you know, any of the stakeholders? Um, you know, does anybody really care? Mm-hmm. And the question, you know, the answer was no. And so it's like, well, why are we doing this then? Mm-hmm. And so uh, making that tweak, you know, just kind of building our features and, and building out a roadmap, you know, knowing that these are things that we need. Um, it, uh, you know, it's definitely made, uh, made life simpler and, and more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, I, I guess as we're kind of hitting up to the end of the interview, I'd like to ask uh, two questions that I generally ask all the mm-hmm. interviewers at the end. Um, so if your 20-year-old self, um, I guess you in like third year of Waterloo, yeah. were to see you now, um, given where you are at this moment, what do you think the emotional reaction would be? Would it be like surprise or excitement or disappointment? I think it'd be like confusion more than yeah. anything. It'd yeah. just be like, wait, you're in you're in tech now? Like Yeah. What do you mean you're in tech? Like you you've got I've got partner track lined yeah. up <laughs> like back home in Ottawa. Like yeah. what, what you actually caved in and you moved to Toronto? Like yeah. who are you? I don't even know you anymore. Yeah. I think that would be the reaction. Yeah. Uh, honestly. Um, you know, if yeah, if I look back as to who I was, you know, ten years ago almost, um, yeah, night and day different. Yeah. So that would, yeah, that would definitely be the the expected reaction. <laughs> no, that's a. I think that's a very uh, genuine reaction. Um, <laughs> and so, if you if you could give advice to that twenty year old self, or even the friend of that twenty year old self, what kind of advice would you give? Change is scary, but almost all the time, it's for the best, and mm-hmm. you know things work out in the end the way that they're supposed to. So. Mm-hmm don't you know hesitate and don't be concerned with you know the small the small details like holistically and at a at a high level um you know if you're thinking of making a change you're likely doing it for the right reason so Mm -hmm. do it action it don't hesitate don't think twice just go for it all right great Thanks for the advice. Yeah. And, uh, thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the interview. Awesome. All right. Thank you. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please check out other episodes and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcasts. Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way, and included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.